Today's Dead Idea, we're continuing to part three of our epic monster-length series on the medieval Irish geish, or Jinx of Doom. And today, it is story time. We're going to hear some stories of might and magic and gesha. So, <laughs> we got quite a treat in store for you. That's what we're talking about today on Dead Ideas. Hey, thanks for listening, everybody. The music we just heard was composed by Rachel Westhoff, my lovely wife who has placed a gesh on me to never wear brown shoes with black pants. <laughs> that's actually a little too close to home. That might be true. <laughs> uh, I'm BT Newberg, but you can call me Brandon. Andre, thanks for being on the show once again. Hey, everybody. Glad to be here. Yeah. I have locked the door, and Andre cannot leave until we finish this series. Send help. In chariots. <laughs> <laughs> Send neck torques. <laughs> okay, so we are continuing our Monster League series on the medieval Irish Gish. Once again, this is a mystical personal rule, Jinx of Doom, or soul-binding rule that kills you. <laughs> right? So, in other words, if I wear those brown shoes and black pants, fate gets mad at me. And I suffer more than just a fashion faux pas. Right. Basically, I suffer dishonor at the least, and probably death. Probably death. By, you know, a car running me over or something. It's right. kind of vague how the causality works in it, but right. fate tracks your, you down. Your days are numbered at that your point. Your days are numbered. That's what a guess is. And this right. comes from medieval Ireland. And we're going to get some of the stories in which this appears today. Yeah. Yes. So by this time, we've done our homework. Go back and check out part one and part two if you haven't done that, because that'll make things make a lot more sense. We went deep into what a guest is. We went into the honor-based society and culture of medieval Ireland, which made guests kind of make sense. Yeah. And we also went deep into the social structure and all the ranks and all the different things you had to do in order to maintain your rank or, you know, try to get some upward mobility in the station or slip back down. Even if you're a dirt farmer, honor matters. Honor matters even if you are a slave. A slave, Like yes. the Fijer, the transitional slave, or the Shankleha, basically an actual slave. Yeah. So, right. yep. So, go back and listen to those if you haven't yet. But today, like I said, we've done our homework. Now it's story time, and Andre has promised to treat us to one hell of a yarn. <laughs> and with any time left over, I may tell a few shorter stories as well. But all of this definitely comes from the actual time period we're talking about, medieval Ireland. And they all, of course, feature Gesha. Yes. yes. But before we do that, we have one thing to get out of the way, and that is our... Fake sponsor. Fake sponsor. Yes, we always do a fake sponsor or fake plug, meaning we do not get any money for this. We have no <laughs> legal relation to this entity. Yet. But it's <laughs> but it's always a, a local brew that we like to plug, and we yeah. do it because we love beer. So, Andre, you brought our brew for today. So what are we drinking? So it is a black beer. Those of you who read Irish stories know that in the epics, the warriors are always sitting around and they are always drinking beer, but it's not just any beer, it is always a vat, an actual vat of black beer. So yes, if you like Guinness and black Irish beers, that goes back a very long time. Today's beer is by Lake Monster Brewery. It is their 
black lager. And uh, Lake Monster Brewery's super local. For super you. local, yeah. Uh, so it's from St. Paul. Yep, St. Paul, Minnesota. Minneapolis, St. Paul is where we are, but you actually live like across the street practically. I basically just f- get out of bed and fall into Lake Monster Brewery. <laughs> yes. So there's actually a, another special connection. Uh, you mentioned the black beer showing up in medieval Irish literature, yes. but we also talked about the blackened eyebrows, which was Ooh. a fashion for women in Ireland at the time. And when Andre and I went to Lake Monster to check out their beer, the bartender had blackened eyebrows. That's true. That was really cool. Do you think she did that just for us? Just for us. (laughs) (laughs) I thought you were going to say we need to blacken our eyebrows with the beer, which I was looking forward to. You you are welcome to do so. Great, I'll just anoint myself right now. (laughs) Listeners, do it too. (laughs) All right, let's check it out. Cheers. Yeah, it's not too bad. It's not too, like, it's not a really strong black beer taste. It's right. just subtle. Yeah. It, yeah. It's not, a, it's not actually a stout. It's a, it's a black lager. So right. it's got that like yeah. crisp, but smooth. Yeah, yeah. I like it. Thanks Lake Monster. Very good. All right. Let's get on to our topic for today. So the first thing we're going to do is let's get a sense of what this actually sounded like in the actual old Irish. And there's only one reason why I can do this. And that's because Andre knows just Fuck tons about Irish culture, <laughs> including language. So, Andre. So I appreciate that lead up, but I'm just going <laughs> to give a series of disclaimers. So um, I uh, I can recite poems in modern Irish and songs and all kinds of things. I'm not fluent in it. And Old Irish is a whole different kettle of fried fish. Fish and chips, as it yeah. were. <laughs> um, so first of all, no one knows exactly what Old Irish sounded like. And secondly, some of our linguists have spent lifetimes putting together a pretty good idea of what it probably sounded like and I have not read everything they've written. So <laughs> I'm going to give my best attempt as someone who kind of speaks modern Irish to give you a little snippet of, uh, of an old poem. All right, caveat's over. Yes. All right, go for it. All right. Nela fe vi dohicet, vingeor guanes ga ruin gaur, geher frisch la lui fir rohen rihes, rogob do gu moyam fortsu alomni, adroclek su roetetar. Nela fehi doikat, nela fehi doikat, nela fehi doikat. Ooh, okay. I could feel the, I could hear the rhythm of it. Yeah. Okay, but what does that mean? And what is this from? Right. So this is a, a, a excerpt from a story called "The Destruction of the Hostel of the Blood Red God." That's what Dajerga means. <laughs> that is, yeah. Wow. The, it's the destruction of Dajerga's hostel, and uh-huh. one way to read that would be the Red God or the Blood Red God. Okay. So, I'm, envis- I'm envisioning a Conan novel right now. It the is cover, very, at least. It comes my to mind. dream in life is to make like a kung fu, like over the top kung fu style movie based on the destruction of Dajerga's hostel. <laughs> <laughs> this is so peep. So if you're listening, this is a story where when the ships of the invaders land on the shores of Ireland, they slam into the beach so hard that miles away, the roof of the hostel shakes and pieces <laughs> of the roof fall to the ground. And they're like, "What is that?" You know, when when one hero starts to start a fire and he's he's shooting sparks from his flintstone, um, miles away they hear the explosive noise and they say, well, that can only be one thing, the flintstone of so-and-so. <laughs> <laughs> so this is a really over-the-top Irish battle story. Uh, the basic nice. storyline is that um, the High King of Ireland, Conara, uh, has, uh, first of all, broken all of his geysa, okay. uh, which he has, what, like 30, 17? Uh, I think at least... At least eight, and I know it's more than eight. It's, yeah, it's a lot. I think it's at least double digits. Okay. So this guy has got, let's say, a dozen or more geisha. 
And he doesn't just break one of them. He managed to, in, in true poetic style, manages to break all of them one after another in the same day. <laughs> Which you know is bad. And then he's like, well, let's go uh, spend the night at this hostel. <laughs> and Which, so... The mm-hmm. hostel's not exactly like... It's not Australian <laughs> backpackers living there, right? Exactly. A so a hostel in the old days because uh, traveler, travelers faced a lot of dangers on the road. Mm-hmm. And if you were traveling, you're away from your family, which as we learned last time is like the unit of society. Mm-hmm. So you're nobody if you're not with your family. Okay. So you might find someone who's willing to extend the laws of hospitality to you and take you under their roof. So it is kind of like a hostel. It is. And it's sort of like it's a safe place where you don't have to hope that someone will take you in. You can go and get nourishment and that kind of stuff. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. And it would mostly be upper class people doing this because who else travels. Okay. Right? Hmm. So it was this great hostel, but this particular one, they typically have like a huge amount of beer being served and there's always feasting yeah. and you know can get a room and that kind of stuff. Um, this particular one is a bit otherworldly. And as the High King settles in, mm-hmm. he starts to realize that some of the people there seem to be these famous heroes from long ago who should be dead now. And there's also a giant there who's somehow... never been seen since the mythological days of the great past, you know. <laughs> yeah, so anyway, this little excerpt that we just read is a snippet of poetry that okay. says what happens when you break a geish. Uh, and it's actually two of the raiders who are coming to sack the hostel while the High King is there. One of them has found out that the High King is there, and he doesn't want to betray his High King. And he says, guys, maybe we should rethink this going and sacking the hostel. And the other one said that poem, which translates something like, It cannot be prevented. Clouds of weakness take you. The slaughter will destroy two great heroes. It will drive Ferrogan to break his word. It will drive Ferrogan to flee. I hear your voice breaking, O Lomna. Are you afraid to fight? Clouds of weakness take you. That's what happens when you break a geish. This destruction is inevitable. Uh-huh. Yes. I see. So, mind you, uh, if you uh, are thinking about doing an Airbnb in Ireland, you might end up <laughs> with a destruction. Of, yeah, read the fine print about, about geisha. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there's and like also a, hosting giants, which don't, is complicated. Don't just click agree without reading it. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to want insurance. This yeah. is the short version. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, thank you for that. That's Absolutely. awesome. Okay. So now, next, we've got a real treat for everybody. Andre, you're a brilliant storyteller. <laughs> I, I place a case on you that you must tell us a story. A story. <laughs> Most underwhelming case. Before, before bedtime. Before, yes. oh wow. Okay. There's a time limit on this one. That's yeah. good. That's, that's, that's workable. That's yes. not lifelong. I can, a I can bedtime that. story that must involve some kind of terrible tragedy resulting from geisha. Hmm. Well, <laughs> well this, yeah, there's some tragedy in this story. Okay. I, can, I can go with that. All right. right. Uh, so for those of you listening, if you know anything about um, Irish stories and, and folklore, you may have heard of the pursuit of Jarmage and Grania. And this story is different from almost all other Irish stories because it is not uh, primarily a battle story, and it's actually a love story. It is about two star-crossed lovers and their, their chase as they run away to try to be together, and uh, her intended husband comes after them. Mm-hmm. And by the way, listeners, if you want to find this story by Googling it, You'll probably need to know the spelling, so check our show notes. Yes. We'll put spelling for a lot of these words in there that, you know, so. Because yeah. Jarmage is not spelled like it sounds. Yeah. <laughs> and there are a lot of versions online yeah. um, that is normal. I'm actually going to be mixing when I tell the story some things from the written down medieval manuscript version mm-hmm. and some things from the oral versions that are many different variations. Um, I don't know of a single great translation into English that just tells the saga of Jarmage and Grania. So if listeners, you know of one, tell us. So 
this podcast will become the authoritative source in English. <laughs> this is the one. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. You should definitely put that in your branding. All right. The definitive did, source. Did I just level up to the next rank Ding. in society? <laughs> What's my honor price now? You are now a third Fermiva. <laughs> third Fermiva. Man between huts <laughs> right. times three. Yeah. You can now rent four cows at a time. I think it's eight. Eight cows. Yeah. So. You might want to warn Rachel. She can veto that. <laughs> yeah. Right. Okay. So... This story is part of the Fenian cycle of Irish myth, which means it takes place in the time when the Finna roamed the land. The Finna, you can translate that word as warbands, which we've been doing in this series. It's a little bit more complex than that. Finna are what I like to call Irish ninjas. <laughs> <laughs> sure, yeah, why not? Yeah. <laughs> I, it, I think that captures really nicely the way they fought, the way they lived, and how they were sort of outside of society. There were different kinds of warriors in mythical Ireland, and to some extent in real Ireland also. Sure. But at least in the stories, there were the uh, chariot warriors, who were usually like upper-class people. They were raised from a young age, expecting that they would be great warriors, and they would fight formally from chariot back and, um, and in single combat and things like that. Um, and these are who are the stuff of the great legends of the heroic cycle. When we talked about Cúhulainn earlier, one of the two greatest uh, heroes of Irish stories, he was a chariot warrior. The other main type of, of warrior in Irish uh, stories are the Finna. And Finn McCool, who will be one of the characters in the story, was the leader of all the Finna of Ireland at the time. Um, it's a coincidence. His name is not related to the word Finna, but his name is Finn, and his warbands are called the Finna. Finn McCool a... sounds like a Disney name, too. It's it like, does, right? like a Toy Story McCool. character. <laughs> <laughs> and fun fact, yeah. that word we used in the last episode, we were talking about uh, female slaves, unfortunately, who cool. were allowed under the rules. Um, Kumul. Uh, so his name means Finn, the son of a slave girl. Oh. Finn McCumul, but it's because of the pronunciation, oh. the grammar rule, it becomes Finn McCool. I see. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So Finn, the son of a slave girl, he was lowborn. And that's the first thing you should know about the Finna, is they were not necessarily born into these upper-class warrior families. Anybody could become a Finn. By the by, it's also interesting, not only that you could take the name of a slave, but also that you would take matriarchal lineage type of name. Right. In other words, the name of your mother, not your father. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Which did happen. I did think, happen, right? occasionally, yeah. 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 Um, not super common, but it did. Yeah. It definitely did. And yeah. I forget the story with Finn if he just didn't know who his mother was or what the deal or who was. Father or was. who his father, who his father yeah. was. Yeah. Okay. So a little bit about the Finna. I'm just going to start by talking because the <laughs> entire story is about people who are we'll members. We'll see you next episode for the actual right, story. Right, for the actual love story. <laughs> uh, but all the guys in the story are Finna. And it was a really badass thing to be a member of a Finna at this time. So first of all, you didn't have to be highborn. If you were a young man, or in many cases, a young woman, they did accept there were female uh, Finna uh -huh. as well and you wanted to adventure a bit, you could go and, and basically request, like, can I join this, this war band? And you would not necessarily be allowed to enter. You had to prove yourself. So you would first go through an extensive series of training. And this was like, it included things like martial training, like you know, how to use a spear and stuff like that. It also included things like mastering poetry and the different forms of poetry. Mm -hmm. So there were all kinds of kind of like classical education elements you had to learn okay. to get in. Yeah. And then you'd be tested. And the test, there was a variety of tests. You had to go through all of them and pass them all. One of them was you would be buried up to your neck in uh -huh. a hole so that you couldn't use your arms. And then all the other members of the, of the war band would stand around and chuck spears at your, at your face. <laughs> yeah. So you had to dodge each one just by jerking your face out of the just way at the your... last second. What? Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, so that was one of the tests. And I don't know if they used, like, blunted spears. Like, maybe you'll lose a tooth if you mess it up, or if this was just, like, life or death. Like, you better pass. Even the you know? bluntest spear on Earth could still take could an eye take out. Could take an eye out, yeah. So I don't know how many one-eyed, like, almost finna were wandering around Ireland. But, yeah. yeah. So that we, also was heard, we also heard the test last time of... Yes. Um, running through the forest and your braids can't get caught in the trees or yeah, caught by the person chasing braid, you. Yeah, they would carefully braid your hair, make uh-huh. sure it's all perfect, and then you would start just one arm's length away from the person who'd be chasing you. When they yelled go, you took off into the forest, and the rule was you had to jump over at least one log as, as high as your shoulder uh-huh. and duck under at least one log as low as your knee. And you had to go through all these brambles and crazy thick forest. And when you finally got out the other side and crossed the finish line, if you didn't get captured, you uh-huh. still may not have won. They would then inspect your hair to see if any of your braid had gotten out of place by catching on thorns or things like that. And this is probably the most important test because this typifies what the Finna are. They are warriors who live outside of society. Mm-hmm. When you join the Finna, you give up your family association. Mm-hmm. You give up your family's right to compensation if you're killed or hurt. Mm-hmm. You leave your clan entirely, which is unheard of for any other role in Irish society, wow. unless you were actually exiled by law. And you would go and live in the wilderness, in the wastelands, outside of farming areas, with the Finna, and they would now be your family until you finished your term of service. And you could eventually go back to your family. Um, so you'd be an outsider. You'd be an outsider. You lost in, all social status. And elementary school students in English class would read about you. Exactly. Yeah. There's a sorting hat <laughs> yeah. to see who gets which. No. The Finna and the Soches. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, and because you're living in the wilderness, the, the Finna became adept at things like hiding, stealth, ambush, subterfuge. Um, they, unlike the, the, like the high ranking chariot warriors, they didn't go from feasting hall to feasting hall being fed and given ale. They would hunt for their meals mm. and sometimes be given small donations of food by lords or by whoever as they were passing through. But a big part of their livelihood was hunting. So it really was this, like, you you appear from the shadows, you come out of the woods, you come out of the bogs with no warning. Mm-hmm. And they also had a reputation for passing between the worlds. They could move into the spirit world and back. So they would even go into, like, the, the burial mounds and come out somewhere else. I was just going to say, that kind of a outsider figure would just be robed around with superstitions. Of course. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So that's why I sometimes call them Irish ninjas, because to call them a war band, it doesn't get at the heart of like, no, but these are the guys that come out of the shadows, they have like mystical powers, and they are just badass. They, they, will, <laughs> they will crawl through a swamp for months to hide out if they need to, to come around and eventually stab the guy they're after, you know? So yeah. So these, these are covert ops. Guys. Covert ops. Yeah. And in fact, now in modern Ireland, and this may have changed, but my understanding is, at least in the recent past, um, like the equivalent of the Navy SEALs of uh-huh. the Irish military yeah. are called the Finna. <laughs> I mean, in, in modern like today, military. yes, yeah. like today. Awesome. So it's still a badass thing today. So it really is special ops. It's special ops, yeah. Okay, so that's who these people are. So with that said, okay. So one of the two most famous warriors in Irish history, Finn McCool. At this point, when our story begins, Finn McCool has become an old man. He has gone through many adventures. He's built up a great reputation. He's now the commander of all of the Finna of Ireland. He has a good relation with kings and the heads of clans. And he has just lost his third wife. She passed away. Oh. Yes. And one morning he gets up very early and goes out to watch the sunrise. And his son and nephew, Oshin and Oscar, come out and chat with him. And they say, Finn, why are you up so early? Why are you sitting out here? And he said, because I have a heavy heart. Because it's a very hard thing for a man to wake up without a wife. Mm-hmm. And they say, well, we should get you a new wife. And he says, well, I'm very old. What woman would want to marry me at this point? 
and they say, well, you're, you're Finn McCool. You're famous. Like, any woman in the kingdom, in the, in the, five, in the five provinces of Ireland, would in, want to marry you. In fact, they could probably make a very successful reality show out of it, too. <laughs> <laughs> I, would, I would pay to watch that. <laughs> yeah. I actually want to host that show. <laughs> <laughs> Who wants to marry a millionaire? Who wants to marry Finn McCool? <laughs> <laughs> just an old guy with a spear. You just have to trust he's really badass. Yeah. Right. And so one of his, uh, one of these two young guys says, you know, I actually know the perfect wife for you. He says, who is that? And say, well, her name is Grania, and she mm. is the daughter of the High King of Ireland. And I have heard that she is the most beautiful woman in, and it's always, right? Mm-hmm. Most beautiful woman yeah. in all of Ireland, and also the best mannered and the most, you know, and he has all these, uh, you know, yeah. adulations that he pours upon she her. She can sew like a son of a... Right, <laughs> exactly, exactly, yeah. <laughs> So her personality is good, she's pretty, like the whole deal, and this is just the first of many times I'm just going to acknowledge, like ancient Ireland, we said this once before, it was the most sexist ancient culture, except for all the other ancient cultures. Yeah. Right? So there was a very <laughs> male-oriented culture with like a few rights for women. So Finn says, well, I don't want to go and ask for her hand myself, because at my age, I couldn't bear to be turned down by a beautiful young woman. It would break my heart. And probably dishonor him. Possibly dishonor him, right. Okay. So his son and his nephew say, okay, we'll go for you and we'll ask for her hand on your behalf. He says, great. So they go to the high king's court. They're welcomed with a great feast. The high king is happy to see them. And he asks, why is it that you've come to me? And they say, we'll talk about that later. They don't want to do it publicly. Eventually, they get a chance to pull the high king aside. And they say to him, we came to ask for your daughter Grania's hand in marriage for uh, our father, Finn McCool. And the high king says this. He says, well... There is not a prince or a king in all of Ireland who has not yet gotten a refusal from Grania. So I would rather if you go talk to her yourself so you can hear her refuse him rather than blaming me when I tell you. <laughs> There's not a prince who has not received a exactly. refusal. Yes. Everybody has been refused. Exactly. Every okay. man who's asked, no gotcha. matter how important they are. Okay. And I like this because it does demonstrate that although marriages were basically an arranged contract between families and the woman did not necessarily have a lot of say, if she refused, that was taken seriously. Like, okay, well, we're not going to cut you off against your will. You can say no. Hmm. And you can question, I mean, if it was a different king or a different man in different circumstances, would he have just said to his daughter, like, you got to do this. This guy's really famous. Just do it. Yeah. I don't know. But there was some, you know, at least a pretense that they wanted the woman to say, yes, I personally agree to the union, uh-huh. not just my family says it's good. Uh-huh. So that's kind of cool. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah. That's, so I mean, we say it's like not quite the most sexist culture in ancient yeah. Europe. It's like that's why. Like they yeah. were like two percent not sexist. Right. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, so these guys go and they talk to Grania, and they're they're braced for this. They've been told she's refused everyone. She's going to refuse your your uh, father Finn, and I just want you to hear it from her, so you won't be angry at me. I'm not the one refusing you. Go hear it from her. Okay. So they go to talk to her, and she says, "Why have you come?" And they say, "We came to ask for your hand for Finn McCool." And she pauses and she says, well, if my father thinks he would be a suitable son-in-law, I see no reason why I wouldn't think he'd be a suitable husband. Sure. Hmm. And okay. Everyone's surprised by that. Like, like really? Like... Now you're agreeing? <laughs> so is it because Finn is so famous? Is it because she's sick of hanging around the palace? We don't know. <laughs> but for whatever reason, this time she's like, yeah, thumbs up. Let's do this. Maybe she's got a thing for old people. She, maybe she's got... <laughs> we'll quickly find out that's not the case. <laughs> 
So uh, there's a, a date arranged where the uh, High King's family and Finn and his Finna are going to meet at a certain location and have a feast, a wedding feast, and they will officially sleep together for the first time, and that's how you get married in Ireland. Okay. You get drunk and you have sex, and the next morning you're married. <laughs> right. So they arrive at this big meeting, and Grania sees Finn McCool for the first time. Uh-huh. And right away she's like, ooh. <laughs> oh, what, was, what was she expecting? This guy's like ninety. <laughs> he's old. Yeah, he's quite old. So, uh, and she starts asking about the other men at the feast. You know, she's asking somebody who knows all the finish. She's like, "Who is that man over there with the graceful legs? Oh, who is that man over there with the uh, the blonde hair? Oh, who's that man who is so good with the hounds?" Uh-huh. And she has like a little compliment for every man she asks about. Uh-huh. But then she gets to Jarmich, and you can kind of tell she's already a little sweet on him because uh-huh. she says. Oh, who is that man who is so sweet with his words and has one curling lock of black hair above his brow and has two rosy red cheeks and such pale skin and stands with such posture and, and she has like goes out at length and they're like, Yeah, that's Jarman, she's one of the thin. She's like, hmm, and who's the man next to him? You know, she just moves out like nothing, you know, he didn't see anything here. She just had to add that one in to kind of cover her tracks exactly, a little bit. Yeah. Oh, and that other guy next to him, how about him? And she's already forgetting that guy's yeah. name. Yeah. Right. Now Jarmage is dealing with a bit of a curse or a blessing. Um, okay. that many men listening to this might not think would be a curse. <laughs> um, Jarmage, for lengthy reasons I won't get into, young, at an earlier point in his life, he ended up getting a love spot. Is That's how it's translated from the Irish. Okay. A love spot. Okay. Which, as far as we can tell, is like some kind mole? of... No, well, it's like the opposite of mole. It's some <laughs> kind of mark, which is on his forehead. Uh-huh. Um, I don't know if it's a birthmark-looking thing or if it glows or what. It glows. But the like problem is, knows. it's like a superpower that you kind of don't want. <laughs> so anytime a woman looks at him, if they see, if they catch sight of his love spot, they are immediately smitten. They want him immediately. Oh, okay. yeah, yeah, right. And that sounds great. It probably was great when he first got it. He was like, this is awesome. Yeah. But it causes a lot of problems. Like, you know, like men's wives are falling in love with them. Like uh-huh. older older warriors' daughters. Like all kinds of, like you don't want the trouble that comes with this in a very honor, loyalty-based society. So this right? guy's the heartbreaker. He's the heartbreaker. So he has taken measures to solve this problem. Okay. He always wears a hat and he wears it pulled real low <laughs> down does. over his forehead. Yeah. So the love spot's Gangsta. always covered. Always covered. <laughs> So just looking at him and not seeing the love spot, Jarmage was already a little sweet on him. Okay. So far, she hasn't seen the love spot. Uh-huh. Um, so the, the marriage feast starts. And, you know, a feast in these days was all kinds of things. There might be, like, guys getting up and doing feats of strength or wrestling. Mm-hmm. There'd be, like, you know, bringing the hounds out, showing off everybody's cool horse, cool cool dog, things like that. So at some point, Jarmage was outside, and he went outside to feed some of the scraps to the hounds. And he starts playing with the dogs. And he's, like, wrestling around with them and pulling with them and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the dogs jumps up on him. These are big deer hounds, uh-huh. so it's like as big as a person. Jumps up on him and pushes him back a little bit, and for a second, his hat falls off under the ground. <gasps> do, do, do. Yeah. At that moment, at and the wedding it's... table, at the at the at the hand of Finn McCool, Grania just happens to look out the door and see this man and catches sight of the love spot and twinkling, <gasps> twinkling in the night. <laughs> yes. <laughs> now Jarmich has no idea that anyone saw him, and he immediately. Darts for the ground, grabs the hat, and throws it back on his face and looks around. He doesn't see anybody. Uh-huh. He finishes feeding the dogs and comes back in. But Grania now has a mission. Oh, yes. She takes one look back at Finn McCool, a respected warrior, a leader of men, but older, sagging skin, and she just says, no, no, I'm not doing this. But she's wily. She doesn't uh-huh. stand up and make a scene. 
she actually um, goes and prepares a vat of wine. And this would be part of the wedding ceremony uh -huh. in, in medieval Ireland, is that when the woman comes and gives a cup of wine to her intended, uh -huh. that is her symbolically giving, you know, something else very sweet to her intended. And when he takes uh -huh. it and drinks of it, that's him saying, I accept that, and then they're going to go get it on later. Right? Uh-huh. So she goes and prepares a vat of wine, and she sprinkles. And at this point, at this point, she's thinking, "Gonna use my arms, <laughs> gonna use my legs, <laughs> <laughs> gonna make you, make you, make you want me." <laughs> Do we just like pull that out as like a soundbite and use yeah. it for something? <laughs> so she prepares this wine, and she sprinkles druidic herbs into it, and makes a sleeping potion out of the wine. Mm-hmm. And she waits until there are certain... Because there's, like, men who have to go guard the door at different times. It's a, you know, it's still a military kind of... Like, the High King is here, all these great men are here. So they are always guarding the doors, and they'll take turns. Like, you guard for so long, well, I go get drunk, and then you go get drunk, well, I guard the door. So she waits until Jarmage and a couple of his friends are guarding the door and not drinking. Mm -hmm. And she brings out the vat of wine. Uh -huh. And she goes and offers the first cup to Finn. He takes it and drinks of it, and everyone applauds. And then the wine is passed around, and everyone is served the wine. Wait, the whole vat has the love potion in it? The whole vat! <laughs> what? Oh, yeah, the full nine yards. Yeah. This seems poorly planned. <laughs> I, also, I also wonder, like, how much, how many sleeping herbs did she have with her? Like, she's just packing this in a backpack just in case, you know? <laughs> okay. But, I mean, really, I guess, like, is there ever... Why not? Wait, so, okay, so what is this love potion? Is this, like, roofies to make you go to sleep? Or is this, like, going to make you fall in love? It's, yeah, it's not a love potion. It's a sleeping potion. Okay. Yeah. So everyone there drinks it except the guys on guard, such as Jarmage. Uh -huh. And then everyone starts getting drowsy. I like that the sexism of this is at least re reversed. Yeah. You've got the woman roofying the man. <laughs> exactly. It's still sexist, but it's, it's slightly true. She more She can have acceptable. her way with, like, everybody there at this point. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Um, so bit by bit, all the warriors drop off, and soon the entire feasting hall is just um, snoozing, basically. Mm -hmm. Yeah, And except for Jarmage and a few of his friends. Okay. So, so she roofied the ones she didn't want. Everybody okay. else, yeah. Okay. right. So she goes to Jarmage, and she just straight up tells him, she's like, I don't want to marry that man, and I want you to take me away from here. Okay. And he's like, but that man is my, I mean, he, he's the head of my, my war band, he's my, he taught me everything I know, he's my foster brother, I, I, I can't turn my back on him, you're, you're going to be his wife, Yeah. you know? And he said, no, I, I'm not going to help you get away from here. Like, that's that's my lord, basically. Uh -huh. And there's a lot of... Uh, the, the word lord almost doesn't work. Because there's a lot of, like, personal, familial... It's almost like his adopted father, uh -huh. you know? Yeah. Um, well, foster father is... Yeah. I think... I don't know if he's actually fostered by Finn oh. or not. But, yeah. That he was, you know, raised up through the Finn and by him. And that's okay. his warband captain, okay. you know? Yeah. So a lot of personal loyalty. And he says, no, I'm not doing that. And she confesses her love to Jarmage. And then she... Takes him, like, by the ear, as I imagine. I feel a gesh coming on. And she says, I place druidic bonds upon you. I put a gesh on you that you will take me away from this place and away from Finn McCool. Uh -huh. And you can just, like, see the blood just, like, draining out of Jarmage's face as she says this. It's like, well, shit. And he still protests. He's like, I, why would you do that? Why would you do that to me? Like, he is my lord. I can't betray him. And she says, we need to leave now. And she says, I know where there is a side door where none of the people outside on guard will see us leave. Mm -hmm. And he says, I'm not leaving through a side door. I'm a warrior. Mm -hmm. And she's like, well, then figure it out. But I'm going to be outside waiting for you. Because mm -hmm. you got to get me out here. Okay. So she, got, she walks off. That's how confident wow. she is that the geish will work. She's not going to argue with him. She geished him. He'll be there. Wow. Right? Okay. He is not that confident. 
he immediately <laughs> turns to his friends who just saw this happen, who were on guard duty with him. Wait, I thought they were asleep. The him and the few friends who were watching the door are all not roofied. Okay. Yeah. So he turns to his friends who his last friends who were still awake, who just watched this happen, and he says, Guys, what do I do? And there are, I want to say five of them. And one by one, every single one of them gives their advice, and every single one of them gives the advice, you gotta do what the gauge says. <laughs> so this is not a bros before hoes kind of ethos here. If it was bros before hoes, maybe. But this is gauge before bros or hoes. Okay, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and every one of them acknowledges, like, we, we understand. Like, you don't want to do this, and it's not fair that she put you in this situation. But you have to. It is a gauge. You cannot refuse it, you know. Okay. And one of them even goes this far. He says, basically, he says, it's unfortunate. Because if you break the gauge, you'll die. Uh-huh. But if you follow the geisha and run away with her, Finn McCool will come and kill you and you'll die. There's right. no way you're going to win. Yeah. Like, Finn will definitely bring a whole army after you and murder you. Uh-huh. Right? So you're going to die no matter what. You should just accept that. Uh-huh. But you should still do the honorable thing and follow the geisha. Uh-huh. Don't break the geisha. And, and the honorable thing of following the geisha is apparently an even greater honor than following your lord. They seem to believe it trumps his loyalty bonds to his war, his warband captain. Okay. Yeah. Because you're going to suffer dishonor either way. Either right? way. Yeah. yeah. This is definitely one of those, it's just like when Koholin couldn't yeah. couldn't take the food and couldn't refuse the food. It's right. like there's no good answer. But in this case, one is a geish and one's not, so follow the geish. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But they tell him, like, we are sure you'll die. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> this isn't like maybe you'll get away to safety, you know. <laughs> so he, with a very heavy heart, he decides to go with her. And he, again, he's not leaving through the side door. So he actually, in the first of many pole vaulting scenes in the story, <laughs> he takes his spear and takes a running, like, he takes a run at the wall of the fortress that they're in okay. and uses his spear to pole vault over the wall and flings himself over the fortress wall to the outside. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so that he doesn't have to leave one. in shame through a side door like a servant or something. <laughs> Which, there's a side door she told him about. He could have just walked through the side door. I'd rather exit by hurtling helplessly through the air than go through a servant door. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> so, <laughs> when he gets outside, he finds Grania, who is waiting for him in his chariot. In his own chariot. Okay. <laughs> so, like, she had complete confidence he would be there. She's, She's like, like I got the car so started. You know, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, he jumps in the chariot, and he tells her, all right, I'm taking you away from here, but that's the end of it. You know, okay. like, I'm not, don't, I'm not in this with you. I'm taking uh-huh. you away because you gauged me, basically. Yeah. And they take off into the night. Uh-huh. Okay. So, meanwhile, in the morning, the sleeping potion wears off, uh-huh. and the men start to stir, and Finn wakes up. I'm imagining with just, like, raging morning wood, because he was supposed to get some last night. <laughs> <laughs> what, whatever he has at 90 years old. Exactly. Yes. But like, he, you he know, probably took Viagra a, herbs. He, yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't get the potion he was hoping for. <laughs> Imagine if when she was making that vat of sleeping potion, she actually accidentally grabbed the wrong herb. <laughs> You got a feast and hall full of boners. An entirely different story. <laughs> that would really test honor at that In point. In fact, Rule 34 is now going to follow this. Uh, <laughs> if you don't know what that is, listeners, just look it up. We're not going to go won't. <laughs> We won't break your innocence on that one. Yeah. Um, so they start to wake up, and um, of course, the, the five people who saw what happened know what happened, but they don't <laughs> tell Finn right away. Because uh, Jarmage is their friend. And even mm-hmm. though Oshin and Oscar are Finn's son and nephew they're still going to kind of watch out for their friend, okay. you know? So they don't tell him what happened right away, but bit by bit, it becomes apparent that everyone fell asleep and that Grania is gone, mm-hmm. and after a minute, also that Jarmich is gone. Mm-hmm. So Finn jumps to the assumption that Jarmich must have 
stolen Grania and fled with her, sure. run off with her. Yeah. Which is, I think, a reasonable, Pretty reasonable leap to make, you know. And so he immediately flies into a rage, and he gets an entire clan of, he, one whole clan. Uh-huh. Like, not like five guys or ten guys. He's like, I want your entire clan <laughs> to go after them in chariots and start tracking them. Uh-huh. He chose the clan with the best hunting dogs. You're going to start tracking them while I get the rest of the army started. Okay. You know? Um, meanwhile, Jabberjee and Grania have fled to a forest. Uh-huh. And they know somebody will be after them. So before they get to the forest, they uh, actually abandon his chariot on the banks of a river and cross through the river to get the hounds off their scent. Uh-huh. And I assume go upriver or downriver or whatever. And then they take off on foot. And this is going to be <clears throat> their life for, for a while. Uh-huh. Is you're wandering on foot, you don't have a chariot, you don't have friends, you don't have wealth, you can't show up in any good, in any great lord's home and ask uh-huh. for help because everyone is against you. And I you're feel just... like Johnny Depp is going to fill the role one day in this movie. In it Tim Burton's like that, you... Pursuit of Jammer Jingrania. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I feel like the, he would fill that role on the run. Luck and, yeah. On, yeah, exactly. So they uh, cross the river, they make off into this forest, and um, the clan sent after them lose the trail at the river. Uh-huh. Meanwhile, he sends a message, uh-huh. I think by a bird or something like that, a raven? A raven, possibly. <laughs> <laughs> One way or another, uh, his friends come and find, they find out that he's in the woods. And they know that Finn is closing in the woods because even with his best hounds off the scent, they're starting to figure, okay, well, they're not over here, they're not over here, there's probably in these woods somewhere. Uh-huh. So they warn, they send a message back to him warning him that Finn is coming. They know you're in the woods. Get out of the woods and keep running because they know where you are. Okay. And Jarmich gets the message and he's like, oh, well, we're not running. <laughs> <laughs> and Grania's like, what do you mean? And he's like, you gave me to get you out of there. And I got you out of there. So I'm going to make my stand right here. My job is done. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> <laughs> and she's like, you can't do that. He played the system. He played the system. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Okay. So he starts building a fortress. Uh-huh. Oh, <laughs> like, a, like a wooden stockade or something? A wooden stockade, exactly. I mean, yeah, whatever you can do in a day or two with, you know, sure. hand tools. Yeah. He gets some, some branches and logs and starts building a wooden stockade. He builds it cleverly. With, I mean, I'm sure it's small, yeah. but like, he builds it with seven different little entrances on it. Okay. So that when Finn's army comes up and starts to surround it, they'll be like, where, which one is he going to try to flee through? Right, yeah. So they start to uh, surround his little fortress. They're like, which way is he going to come out of? And Finn has to wait for enough soldiers to surround the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, Grania is like, they're going to kill us. Like, they're going to kill both of us. Uh-huh. And um, at that moment, they get a little bit of supernatural help. Jarmage, it should be pointed out, is sometimes said to be the son of Angus MacOg. Okay. Angus MacOg is one of the gods of early Irish mythology. Uh-huh. And there's not a lot of clear information known about all of the ancient Irish gods. Okay. But you can generally get a sense, reading the stories that mention Angus MacOg, that he is their equivalent of Cupid. Ooh. He is always the... He's a love god? He's a love god, yes. Okay. He's a god of youth and love. Well, that makes sense with his um, Harry Potter tattoo. Exactly. scar that he yes. has, you know, that, <laughs> that twinkles and grabs the eye of every young maiden. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. This is his heritage. So his, his supposed father, the god of love and youth, who always appears as like an adolescent or young man. He never appears as an old man. Uh-huh. So kind of like Cupid. And is this like... Many colored, like all beautiful, magical god who is always helping out lovers and things like that. Uh-huh. The biggest story about Angus MacOg is him uh, suffering heartbreak and nobody could cure his illness and they had to go find the woman he was seeing in his dreams and all this good stuff. Mm-hmm. So Angus MacOg comes to them and says, Jarmich, I'm going to help you out. I will get you out of here. I will take both of you. I can lift you up with my 
he probably says druidic magic. I can lift you up with my divine powers mm -hmm. and carry you through the sky in a cloud away from here. So you will not be pursued by Finn any longer. Mm -hmm. And Jarmage says, I am not going to be the warrior who turns and runs. Mm -hmm. I am happy to make a stand here. You know, um, He says, but take Grania away and carry her off to safety so that she won't die when I am slaughtered. Uh, he knows he's dead anyway. He knows he's He assumes he's going to die. Yeah. So... That happens. The mm -hmm. Angus takes Grania away in a cloud of mist to the, okay. to the west, I think. Okay. And Jarmich prepares for his like final stand. And they start to surround. He can hear a battalion of soldiers at each of his seven doors. But he has an idea. He goes around and he, he shouts through the first door, Who is guarding this door? And Oshin, one of the guys who let him escape and said, Go follow your gauge. You know, do it. Uh -huh. Oshin is like, Oshin and his men are guarding this door. He's like, Oh, great. And he goes to the next door, Who is guarding this door? Oscar and his men are guarding this door, and one by one, the first five doors are all buddies of his, and he knows that they're not going to break down the door and come for him. They're just going to hang out out there and be like, we're watching the door, you know, and do nothing. He gets to the six doors, when it Finn's men, the guy threatens him with death and ripping his body parts apart and all kinds of horrible <laughs> stuff, and he keeps going, gets to the seventh door, and he says, who is guarding this door? And Finn McCool says, it is Finn McCool, uh -huh. you know. And that is when he realizes, okay, this is the door that has a fight, those five doors are safe, and he... Does his pole vaulting move one more time? Yes, takes pole a run, number two. Pole vault number two takes a running stab at the far wall and leaps out over the side that's guarded by Oshin and Oscar, lands right in the midst of their troops, and they do nothing, and he turns and books it into the woods to the west in the same direction the ground went. Why did they do nothing? Because they were his friends. Okay. Yeah. They weren't they were they're just there because like Finn told us to come here, but okay. we're watching out for our buddy. Right. Yeah. Okay. Right. So he makes off into the west. He and Grania reunite, thanks to Angus Magog, but they're still fleeing. He still refuses the help to be kind of picked up and carried away, so to speak. Okay. So many, many adventures ensue. A couple of my favorites. Does he become a full Jedi? He is <laughs> basically <laughs> when he becomes a full Jedi, yes. <laughs> At one point, they are in a woods, and they find this giant magical rowan tree. Mm -hmm. Rowan was very important in Irish culture, mm -hmm. and they uh, take refuge in its branches. It's like gigantic. Like, picture like a, like a fantasy tree that goes mm -hmm. up like thousands of feet, right? Mm -hmm. And Finn McCool knows that they are somewhere in the area, and actually Finn's troops end up camping out around the base of the Rowan tree. Mm -hmm. And they can't see, they don't know that, um, that Jarmage and Grania are right in the tree above them, because mm -hmm. it's hundreds of feet up. Mm -hmm. But to pass the time, Finn and his son start playing uh, Fikiel, which we talked about the, in the previous the game episode. That's not it's like chess. It's a game chess. that's not at all like chess, Kay. but sometimes translated as Irish chess. Okay. Um, they started playing Fikiel. And the thing is, Finn was very good at Fikiel. It's a strategic game, and like really badass warriors tend to be good at it in the Irish stories. Okay. And the only person who could reliably beat him was Jarmage. Okay. And so Oshin is playing against Finn and losing and losing and losing, and then they start a new game, and just as Oshin is about to make another bad move, a Rowanberry falls from above and lands on one of the squares of the board. Uh -huh. And Oshin says, well, maybe I'll move there. And he moves there. It's a really good move. <laughs> and then Finn takes his turn, and another Rowanberry falls from above and lands another square, and Oshin moves there. And he, every time it's Oshin's turn, a Rowan Berry falls from the sky and lands on the board. And every time he moves to, the, to the, where the berry is, he gets another great move. And eventually he ends up beating Finn for the first time ever. <laughs> and Finn immediately knows what's happening. He stands up. He's like, there is not a man in this warband who could beat me at Fikiel except Jarmich. Uh, and he is in this tree somewhere. You know? uh -huh. uh, so they have another great scene where they have to you know, fight. And, uh, get, you so know. He's, up, uh, he's in the tree, like, oh, shaking yeah. the branches. Shaking so branches and dropping berries exactly. to show the right move. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. 
<laughs> so that's how close they are to being captured. There's many times where Finn is just hundreds of feet away or uh -huh. just about to close the pincher on an ambush, and every time they manage to get away. So it goes on like this. I believe that the story has been wandering for like 16 years. Okay. You know, it's a long period of time. But not long after the Rowan Tree incident. And I could just, I just have, I have to imagine Finn as being like the sheriff in the Dukes of Hazard. That every time that Jarvich gets away, he's like, "You kids!" <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yes. There's actually a beautiful passage in like one of the Fenian stories where Finn McCool and one of his younger warriors have a debate about like the virtues of youth versus old age. Yeah. And Finn is like, "Experience matters." The other one's like, "No, I'm more flexible and stronger." You know, and, like they have a, yeah, it's like a uh -huh. big thing. So yeah, you kids, <laughs> crazy. So anyway, they're wandering. Uh, the life for Jarmage and Grania gets worse and worse. As they, uh -huh. um, they are running out of food. Um, okay. They are Plenty of berries, though, apparently. They get plenty of berries in their diet. And also, this is kind of funny. I, I think maybe the reason they're running out of food is because Jarmage observes this weird um, ritual that he decides upon, where every morning he will leave a piece of unbroken bread mm -hmm. where they camped. Because he knows that Finn's trackers are not far behind them, and he believes it'll send a signal to Finn showing, I did not break trust with you. I have not touched her. Oh. So every morning, he never sleeps huh. with Grania at all. Hmm. Um, and every morning, he leaves a piece of unbroken bread behind. So that might be why you're running out of food. This guy's principled. He's like a paladin. Oh, yeah, yeah. He is not. He wants, he's really trying to play it. Like, I'll fulfill the geish, and I will also keep my honor to my lord. Yeah. And, and Grania complains about this. Like, uh -huh. she wants it. She wants them to get together. <laughs> and she's always putting moves on them. And she starts complaining about not getting any. Like, uh -huh. at one point, they cross a, a river, uh -huh. and uh, she gets, like, you know, water splashed all up on her legs and in her dress, and she's like, that's the most I've gotten all year. I <laughs> 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 think, actually, the way she says it is, like, a very, like, old Irish story way. She's like, that splash of water is more adventurous than you are, Jarmage. You know, or something like that. But it's like, it's the most action I've gotten since we started this quest. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. So, right. so, so, thinking realistically, right. like, she she started this whole thing by placing a geisha on him, so why does she just geisha him again to Flipather? Right. So I think that goes into, like, what we were saying about, like, a geisha is rarely, it's never casual. Right? Yeah. It has to be, like, has to, it has to reflect some great value. truth yeah. in the world. Yeah. So... The idea that she's in love with him and that they are meant to be together and she's not meant to be with this old man, yeah. that's geishable. Yeah. But the idea that, like, I want you to come give it to me tonight and you don't want to give it to me, that's just, like, abuse. <laughs> By the way, after this episode is done recording, geishable.com will go live and I will... Geishable. Be... Yes. You can vote. Like, is this geishable or not? <laughs> Geishworthy. Yeah. yeah. Swipe right if it's geishable. <laughs> swipe left if not. Swipe, swipe right if you geish this. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Whatever gets the most geishes actually happens. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. So they're on the run and they're getting dirty, tattered, running out of food, etc. And life is hard. And so one day they're uh, walking along the coast and a giant uh, sea storm comes up. They're always in deserted areas. They're never near civilization, because okay. if they were, they'd be captured. Sure. A giant sea storm comes up, and they're just being pelted with rain, and it's freezing cold, and they have nowhere to sleep. They've been camping out, and Jarmage spots a little sea cave. So he says, okay, we'll take, we'll take shelter in the sea cave. So he gets them in there, and he manages to start a little fire or something, and tries to make it as hospitable as jagged, wet rocks can be in a storm. Mm -hmm. And while they're getting ready to have dinner, um, they hear something. Mm -hmm. And they see a boat pulling into the water in the sea cave. Mm. And this boat has come from across the western sea. And in the boat is one of the four, a one-eyed giant. And the fori are the bad guys of Irish literature. In the early stories, the mythological cycle, oh. 
Yes. Fory. Fory. Is that it's spelled F O M O R? So one is so. a four, and multiple are Fory. Okay. Yes. So I just I always pronounced it Fomori. But, right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's so how it's it looks fori. in English. It's okay. Like Fomori, but sure. it's four. Okay. Yeah. All right. Go on. So if you read the ink, like the mythological cycle, there's actually uh -huh. a war between the gods and the giants at one point. And uh -huh. the gods definitively triumph, and it's sort of like that's when they drove evil from the world. Yeah. So the but, evil. Comes, but the yeah. god of heroes, Lu. Um, did not take the advice of the goddess of death, uh -huh. Morian, who said, just wipe them all out, kill every last one of them. Uh -huh. Instead, he made terms with them when they beat them. He said, okay, I'll, I'll spare you your life if you do this, this, and this for me. Uh -huh. So that's why there's still some evil in the world, is because he didn't finish uh -huh. off the last uh -huh. of the okay. titans, so to speak. Okay. And for anyone who really is into this literature, that's not exactly right. The Fori are not evil, per se. Mm -hmm. But you could safely but say that they're creatures of, of chaos and destruction, yeah. and they're very greedy. You okay. know? Yeah. So they're a little bit demonic, but, you know... It's it's not quite a, a black and white like sure, good sure, sure, sure. right? Yeah. But they're bad news. So you see one of these things coming in in a boat, uh -huh. a huge one-eyed giant with its cudgel and everything else, and uh, it comes in and it sees them, and it says, "Awfully rough weather out there." <laughs> <laughs> of course, that's what a giant would say. Let's talk about the weather. And they're like, "Yeah," and he's like, "Can I share your fire?" <laughs> This is like a Disney character, too. It's, it's the nicest giant. It's this awkward situation where, like, we normally he might Shrek. be trying to eat them, you it's know? Shrek, I think. It's like pre-Shrek, yeah. It's like the proto-Shrek, basically. So, I mean, normally they might be at odds, but it's like they've both been driven to shelter by the same storm, so it's kind of like there's a certain now. amount of peace, you okay. know? Like, we're both here by circumstance, let's not fight, let's, like, sure. hang out together. Sure. So, they agree to share their fire with him. Uh-huh. And he says, to pass the time, to pass the time, <laughs> why don't we play a game of fecal? <laughs> <laughs> He's not going to win. You would think. Yeah, Jarvage is like pretty confident. He's like, well, you might have heard about me from the fecal <laughs> championship. Ever heard of the Rowanberry incident? <laughs> so he's really confident that he can beat this giant. He's like, absolutely, let's play a game. And the giant beats him. Oh. Oh. And when the giant beats him, he's like... Basically, he says, what do I get for winning? <laughs> and Charmin's just like, we have nothing to give you. I didn't know we were playing for stakes. And he's like, then I'll take the girl. <laughs> so at this point, Jarmage is motivated to just be like, okay, take her. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And this is when he turns. Like, okay. So first of all, when the giant says that, he says, but I'll just take the girl. Uh -huh. And starts to, he puts his arm around Grania. Uh -huh. And Grania does this. She looks at him and kind of smiles, and she's like, finally, I'm going to get to the action. <laughs> she says something like that. Like, she literally is like, ooh. And Jarmage just snaps. Like, he draws his sword and just, like, pushes the giant off her, and they fight. And he ends up killing the giant. Wow. And Jarmage is okay. like, don't kill him, don't kill him, and he fucking beheads the thing. Okay. Yeah. So he drops this giant dead on the ground. And it's, it's like a reversal for both of them. Like, she sure. was like, oh, maybe I'll go with this guy then. And kind of like, you know, making little little uh, flirty faces at him. Yeah. And Jarmage suddenly is like, oh, no, you're not. You know? <laughs> and fights this giant who was about to abduct this girl he's traveling with. Uh -huh. And you might think, if you read old Irish stories, that killing a giant to save a girl would be this great thing. And she'd be like, yay, you saved me. And she was like, why would you do that? <laughs> and he's like, she, he was about to abduct you. Why, why wouldn't I do that? I've saved you. And she's yeah. like, no, you know, like you haven't touched me at all. And he's the first person who's ever shown interest in me. <laughs> and they get in a fight and she actually draws her little knife that you would use for like cutting meat uh -oh. or whatever. Uh -huh. And she stabs Jarmage in the thigh, like uh -huh. in anger. And then she just storms off out Take into the storm. That. Yeah. 
and he's standing there bleeding and shaking, and there's like a giant's head in his hand and whatever else, and he watches her walk out in the rain, and this is the point where he could just be free, the whole thing. He could just hang out in the cave, and he's done with her. This right? is the point where he turns to the camera and just shrugs. He's like, that was weird. <laughs> Back to feet, y'all. Who wants to play another game? <laughs> and instead, he follows her out in the storm, and he starts chasing her across the heath. Uh-huh. And they all night he's following her and trying to catch up with her, and she does uh-huh. not want to talk to him. So now she's playing hard to get, and suddenly it's and suddenly working. he's interested. <laughs> exactly. And when the dawn finally comes, and the storm clouds start to break, and the rain stops, uh-huh. he catches up to her on these cliffs overlooking the sea. Uh-huh. And he basically says, "Like you can't run away. I can't protect you if you run away from me." And she's like, "I don't want your protection. Uh-huh. Like, you you don't care about me." And he says, "Why would I care about you? One moment your love is as beautiful." As a green tree, heavy under blossom, the next moment it is as cold as a winter wind. Uh, like you're just going from man to man here. Finn, now me, now the giant. Uh-huh. Why would I possibly love you? Uh-huh. You know? And she says that she loves him, and he starts to just unload. You know, he just goes into like, why did you do this to me? Uh-huh. I had a life. I had brothers at arms. I had a future as a Finn. And I had a, a commander who I looked up to and respected, and, and the promise of riches and a good marriage and a good family someday. And now I'm wandering. We don't have food. We don't have shelter. We don't have friends. I've betrayed everyone I love. We're living in a cave with giants, you know? And he just unloads on her. And she suddenly realizes, like, how much she's put him through just to get away from this man she didn't want to marry. Uh And she starts to cry. And she says, but I've always loved you. He Uh says, you don't love me. You love the spot on my head. (laughs) You love my spot. You love my love spot. (laughs) And she's like, no, the first time I saw you when you were wearing your hat, I knew I wanted to be with you. Uh-huh. And I've always loved you. Never Finn, never the giant. And he's like, really? <laughs> <laughs> and they sit down next to each other on the edge of this cliff. Uh-huh. And they just kind of sit in silence for a long time, uh-huh. you know? And finally, like, as if to break the silence, she says, are you hungry? Do you want something to eat? And he says, if you have some food, I would gladly take some. Uh-huh. She's like, okay, I'll, I'll cut some of what we have left. And she's like, where's the knife? And he's like, it's exactly where you left it. Those are his exact words. She's like, where's my knife? And he's like, it's exactly where you left it. <laughs> She's like, oh yeah. Oops. So she has to reach over and like, pull the knife out of his thigh, wipe it off. That is <laughs> And cuts scene. their last rations up, you know, and she makes them a little meal, a little cold meal, covered in, they're soaked, they're sitting on the edge of this cliff, and they eat this meal together. And all the story says is that the next morning and every morning thereafter, Jarmage did not leave unbroken bread for Finn. He left broken bread. So from that point on, they're in love and they're getting it on. So Jarmage and Grania wandered for years. Uh, One version of the story has it up to 16 years. And um, eventually, eventually, Finn got them cornered. Uh, Finn was sick of them getting away. I don't know how old Finn is at this point, like 105. <laughs> he's like, I'm not going to go to my grave it's until like, I get that yeah, girl. He's like, yeah. what, what, he's, the death rattle isn't going to come until he finally succeeds. And then he's just going to be like, Ugh, Immediately rolls over. Yeah, right. This is his white whale, for sure. So he's sick of them getting away. And Finn is also a little supernatural. Um, he was actually, although his mother was that low-ranking servant girl, he was raised, he was fostered by a woman from the other world. Mm. And so he actually goes to the other world and asks his mystical foster mother, who's one of the she people, essentially one of the, you could say maybe the elves or something like that. One of these divine spirit-like people. Mm -hmm. Um, He asks her for her counsel and she says, oh, I'll help you out. Don't worry. Just leave it to me. And so she comes back to like the physical world with him. Uh 
and she puts a druidic mist over him and his finna. Uh, while Jarmage and Grania are taking shelter in Angus Magog's house. There's a famous monument in Ireland to this day. You can go tour it. It's now called Newgrange. It's one of the most famous yeah. uh, megalithic tombs in the world. Yeah. Originally, it was called Brunabona, which means the uh, house, essentially, of the, Boan, of the Boyne River, or the house of the goddess Boan, who is Angus's mother. Okay. And so, since it's his mother's house, it's his house, and since it's his house, he says, Jarmage, Granny, come stay with me. It's mystical here. You'll be totally fine. You know? <laughs> so, they're staying with, like, a god. Meanwhile, Finn goes and gets, like, a goddess to help him out. Not actually a goddess, but a divine mystical character. Uh-huh. And um, Jarmage doesn't know that Finn is closing in on them because it's just a misty day and all of his forces are hidden in the fog. Uh-huh. And Jarmage says, I'm going to go out and go hunting and get us some food. So he goes out to go hunting. He figures the mist will cover me really well. And just then, Finn springs his trap and all of his men start to come out of the mist and converge in Jarmage. And Jarmage is fighting him off, you know, ferociously. Uh-huh. And Finn's foster mother, this, this spiritual, this spirit woman, uh-huh uses a very special power for us. She has a leaf that has a hole in it that she found, like, as if, as if like, a worm okay. took, like, one bite out of the middle of the leaf, so there's a little tiny hole. Uh-huh. You can't cut the hole yourself. You have to find a leaf with a hole in it. Okay. So she takes this leaf, and she uses her magic to lift herself up into the sky, and she gets behind the leaf and starts to chant through the hole in the leaf. Uh-huh. And when she chants through the hole, it begins to shoot magical spears or darts Oh. At Jarmage. So it's like the original magic missile spell. Wow. Yeah. But you need the leaf to do it, right? <laughs> yeah. And you so need, he's... You need your magical ingredients. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So he's uh, holding off these men who are all around him, but then these darts start hitting him and ripping him to pieces, and every one like, takes off another chunk of flesh or cuts into him somewhere else, and he can't stop them. They go through his, right through his shield. He can't block them, you know, and he's just getting torn to pieces, and he looks up and sees this woman of the she in the sky, blowing and chanting through this leaf, and these darts leaping from the leaf to him, and he realizes, the only chance I have is if I can hit her, but the only way I'll be able to hit her is if I can hit her through the hole in the leaf. Uh, She's magically shielded everywhere else. It's like the chink in Smog's armor. It's like the one Smog. vent in a certain space station we know of. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So he turns off his targeting computer. <laughs> Use the force, Jarmage. <laughs> so Jarmage takes his spear, it's known as the Red Spear, and he heaves it in the great throw, and it, it flies true, and it goes right through that hole in the leaf, and right into the face of the woman of the she, and she goes through her head, she drops out of the sky, and he runs over and beheads her, and uh-huh. takes the head of Finn's mystical foster mother, wow. and kicks the body aside. The men who are all around him at this point are so freaked out, they're just backing off. Like, they just saw him beat someone from the she, you uh-huh. know? And he just essentially makes off into the mist. When the body of the foster mother is returned to Finn the Cool, uh-huh. obviously, first of all, he's grieving. And secondly, it might send a little bit of a message that, like, you're just not going to get this guy, mm-hmm. right? And that is the point at which he says, I want to talk terms. And so Angus McOg comes and brokers the peace between the two factions. Between Finn and Jarmage. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Between Finn and Jarmage. Finn allows Jarmage to take some land, including the land that was historically belonged to his family and a couple okay. other tracts of land. Okay. And uh, they agree to make peace. And Jarmage is going to keep, you know, like he and Rania are an item now, right? So okay. they're just going to stay together. And okay. Finn can find someone else, okay. basically. Um, so it's a really big blow to Finn's, like, honor and his pride and everything else, sure. but they're finally making peace. Uh-huh. Um, and Jarmage and Grania retire to one of the tracts of land they got. It's an area in County Sligo called mm-hmm. uh, Keshkaran, mm-hmm. and the caves of Keshkaran are stunning and beautiful, like you can go to those as well. Mm-hmm. They're great. They look very magical, like you walk in and you're like, oh yeah, I'm definitely going to Narnia. 
<laughs> Not coming out of this cave in one piece. Okay. <laughs> and it's one of the only Irish stories that has a sort of happy ending. They live for many, many years. They have huh? four sons and a daughter together, Jamridge and Grania, and they're sweetly in love the whole rest of their life. It's not exactly happening. Eventually, Jarmage is killed by a boar that he's hunting in a boar fight, uh-huh. and Finn has the chance to maybe magically bring him back to life, but is a little bit slow on the take, so he dies before Finn can do it. And uh-huh. you kind of get the sense like Finn did that on purpose. So, I mean, eventually, like all Irish stories, it has a tragic uh, end. Sure. But everybody's got to die somehow, and yeah. they did live for many, many years happily sure. together. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So that was one geish where the person never broke it, and uh-huh. the story never bit them in the butt for breaking it. It's one of the only geisha in all of Irish literature that I can think of that doesn't get broken a few pages later. So. <laughs> wow. That is amazing. And we also got a kind of a primer if you want to get your man, ladies. <laughs> so let's see, let's see if we can break it down, right? Sleeping okay. motion. So, yeah, so first, uh, Rufy the wingman yes. is step one. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Step two, you <laughs> use the customs of society against the guy to, to guilt him into the key going words off here with you. are or druidic bonds are upon you. <laughs> yeah, yes. Write that down. Yeah. Uh, obtain supernatural aid to get away. <laughs> from you definitely get one at least one flying spell to make this work. <laughs> Um, I'll take a pole make, vaulting class. Take take a pole vaulting class in case you have to do that to, to keep up with the guy. <laughs> Make him jealous with a giant. Yes. If he's not responding to your advances, it's okay to stab him in the thigh. Yeah, stab him yeah. in the thigh. Don't hit the groin. You're going to want that later. Yeah. But the thigh is mostly just like flesh. Yeah, just or any like. other expendable piece of his body. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, just be patient for like 16 years. Sometimes, yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know. Pop it in the oven for 16 years 16 and years. bing, you're done. <laughs> <laughs> and definitely jealousy and playing hard to get will, will win him over. Yeah. Those two things. Yeah. yeah. You got that? Good. I think it'll work. Yeah. Wow. That was amazing. I, there's <laughs> no way that I'm going to follow that with anything. That was just over the top awesome. And listeners, you didn't get to see this part, but Andre told that whole thing pretty much extemporaneously. He's yeah. got like a, an outline of like 10 lines that he right, was working yeah. with for that. Like, don't don't forget the chess game. Yeah, that's not... When, if you see my notes, like every word is written out. I don't read it actually, but that's, I was like, I gotta, I gotta like control what I'm going to say. But that was, oh my God, that was impressive. I love these stories. And yeah, yeah. yeah. that was good. Okay. Well, uh, it's, it's that time. It's that time. So we have to uh, draw this to a close. But thank you very much. Absolutely. So, listeners, we are still not done yet. Uh, this was part three. And we are following this next with our interview with Dr. Jillian Kenny of uh, Trinity College in Dublin, who's going to talk to us about the position of women and women in magic in medieval Ireland. So that is going to be very interesting. Well, she covered like hot topics, like 12 things to do with your sleeping potion. Or like... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Five ways to get out of a castle with your man. <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll ask her. Yeah. yeah. I'll ask her. Water. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, okay. So, so join us next week for that, everybody. Uh, Andre, once again. Time for your plug. Yeah, so if any of you love coloring or you have to buy a gift for someone who loves coloring, uh, we just released a coloring book for grown-ups and people of all ages uh, called Introvert Dreams. It tells a touching story uh, in both pictures and words of a journey into an inner dream world for anyone who loves quiet and uh, 
exploring a fantasy landscape would be a good gift. So mm -hmm. Introvert Dreams, that is available on Amazon.com, right? And check it out. It's awesome. Folks, if you like this series, let us know. Write us in at deadideaspod at gmail.com. And if you have a dead idea that you'd like us to explore, we definitely want to hear about it. So write us in. I'm BT Newberg, and this is Dead Ideas. Hey, thanks for listening, everybody. Remember, you can get great perks by supporting the show on Patreon at www.patreon.com forward slash deadideaspod. For $5 a month, you can get your portrait done in the time period and culture of your choosing. And if you've already received a portrait for a review, you can get another one for yourself or for a friend by contributing. There's that and lots of other great perks at Patreon. You can see that and lots more on our supporters page on our website, www.deadideas.net. There's also a map of Ireland, references to the books and articles used in the show, and lots more. It's also just a beautiful website with graphic design by Rachel Westhoff. So visit us at www.deadideas.net. All right, see you next week, everybody.